Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. My name is Alyssa Gubrell and I'm here with Pastor Jeff Thune and Pastor Lucas Hattenberger of Northwest Bible Church. Every other week we sit down to discuss how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to the questions and conversations of today. And today we are talking about Christianity in a post-Christian world. Yeah, we are. Um, this is a, a really important conversation and one that we're hoping will be yeah, just edifying uh, to our church and, and anyone else who's listening. Um, but before we get to it, it's good to be back with you guys, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's been quite a while. Yeah. We've taken a bit of a holiday hiatus, I guess. And uh, and then sickness hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but now we're yeah, now we're back and now we're in twenty twenty two. That's right. So part of the reason I wanted to have um, I think it's good for us to have this conversation is um, last couple of years, um, what's transpired in our culture, what we've been living through. I, I know it's sometimes depressing to recount it all, but you have a global pandemic, um, major social and racial unrest across the nation, a contentious presidential debate, an election, uh, claims of election fraud, the storming of the U.S. Capitol, uh, troop withdrawal from the terrorist haven of Afghanistan, government-enforced shutdowns, vaccine mandates, arguments over masks and how to live, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and quite possibly a whole lot more of the same on the horizon. And I think... I'm curious to how you guys have experienced this, but I think what I've seen is the culture at large, but even even some of us Christians, professing Christians, our response to all of those things has been a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anger, a lot of kind of division, um, tribalistic sort of division, instead of uh, a peaceful, poised, faithful non-anxious presence yeah. and that's not a that's not my term there it comes from mark sayers and others but a non-anxious presence and so isaiah 26 we read you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you so i think part of the reason we're having this conversation is okay lord we're trying to do that um but it's really difficult in this current moment that we're living in. Um, as you guys think about it, the past year, year and a half, how, how would you summarize or do you agree with what I've said, kind of um, what I've noticed and, and been even watching in, in kind of the Christian community? Yeah, I think, you know, even so many of those things you listed off the top, like there was some version of Christianity kind of slapped on some of them. You know, you saw, it's not like Christians were just like living in fear or scared. They were like actively a part of it in some cases. Mm. Um, so yeah, just thinking about like what, when, when we do have a greater hope, uh, we're not always living like it in yeah. these kind of crazy times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I saw just mainly tons of division yeah. within the body. I mean, last year, I think what many of us did was we defined ourselves by these events mm. as opposed to by, by Jesus. Mm. And so, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of fear on both sides too. You know, it's not, um, 
you know, fear of government overreach, fear of, you know, getting the, the, um, uh, getting the sickness, fear of, you know. So, uh, yeah, totally in agreement there. I think it's been an interesting year yeah. to see. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think what we want to try to do in this conversation uh, and a roadmap maybe for our listeners is to, to try to go, okay, that all has been happening, happening culturally and by and large, our response as a culture has been a lot of different emotion. Um, we've a lot of negative emotion, a lot of division, a lot of fear, anxiety, anger, just a, a lack of peace, a lack of um, just faithful presence. And yet that is what the, the word of God um, tells us that, that we can have and should have um, in whatever culture we're living in, in whatever cultural moment we're living in, and so I think what we're trying to go, okay, is so what's the underlying root of what we've experienced the last couple of years? What's maybe a biblical sort of recalibration um, where we as Christians just go, okay, like now that we've, you know, now that we've kind of come to our senses a little bit, the dust is settled, we know that, that these things aren't necessarily going away. How do we recalibrate? And then I guess also talk about, okay, it, there might be some biblical roles that um, the scripture gives, gives us that would be really helpful in that. So let me start with kind of what I see is maybe one of the underlying roots to all of the emotion and the lack of poise, the lack of peace. Um, and I think I would characterize it like this. So when we ask people, or when, if I were to ask someone, hey, what does it mean to be Christian? Mm. Um, like, what are we trying to do to achieve, to accomplish by this way of life? Uh, what does it mean, in a sense, to, to, to have the mission of being Christian accomplished? Typically, the answer that comes back, even if it's sort of implicit, is this idea of Christendom. Uh, that the ultimate goal is a Christian society, um, whether that's by individual conversions, church growth, or by the transformation of culture. Now, all of that is not necessarily bad. I mean, we have, at the end of Matthew's gospel, um, this great commission by um, the resurrected Savior himself, go into all the world, um, baptize, you know, make disciples, baptize them in the, in the name of the triune God and teach them to observe everything that I've, I've commanded. So I think, you know, this idea of um, moving out and being Christians in, in even secular cultures and um, taking the gospel to those cultures and, and seeing lives transformed, communities transformed, like all of that's, that's good, right? Um, but I think we've probably lived through a few generations now. So you think of like our grandfather's generation. It was post-World War II. There's a lot of kind of revival happening in America after World War II. Uh, a lot of churches being formed, schools being formed, hospitals being built, um, and all kind of the, the impetus behind that it is a, a bit of a Christian worldview, teaching, 
And so it's a builder sort of generation. And then uh, our fathers, I guess, our, our fathers, mothers, maybe if we consider that the boomer generation, um, they are in some ways bearing the fruit of that, right? Like it's a, the, 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 uh, the culture is Christianized to a certain degree or it lo- at least feels that way. And so, um, well now, even though through those generations, the U.S. had sort of this veneer of being a Christian society, um, now what happens when the, the sort of cultural winds are, have changed? They're not mm-hmm. blowing in our favor anymore. Um, like, is it possible that God may have become part of a, a culture or a cultural ideal and therefore, when the institutional presence of Christianity is, yeah, just, it, it's questioned, it's debated, it's, it's removed, it's um, even kind of set to the side. Um, and that, that feels threatening to us. Um, what I'm saying is, it's really easy to become fearful, anxious, angry, scared, um, and, and it's really easy for our emotional sort of um, manifestation of that to, to not necessarily um, represent what Christ himself tells us that he gives us, right? So I, I guess to summarize, like, if, if God is the God of your fathers, um, of your institutions, in a sense that can produce like a, a very strong religion but oftentimes, your God is also not bigger than that particular environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and outside of that particular environment, well, people are just, they're enemies, they're, they're persecutors, they're progressive liberals, they're you know, people who are um, trying to institute gay marriage or whatever. Um, meaning, like, it's one thing to know that God is God in Jerusalem, but it's a very different thing to know that God is God in Babylon when... When those, um, yeah, when some of those things that you've come to um, trust in, rely on, that give you peace have been removed, right? Some of the kind of institutions that um, represent, yeah, just good and hope and, and, and stability, you know? Um, but how would you, I mean, to me, that's, that could be one of the, the things we're experiencing is it at least feels like my country's changing. The, you know, um, things are being uprooted, threatened. Um, this veneer of kind of a Christian society is, is no longer as, as safe and stable as I, I once thought it was or, or as my parents' generation or grandparents' generation had experienced. And so all of a sudden... You know, that's threatening. It's it's you know I'm experiencing yeah. loss. I'm experiencing just a lot of emotion. Mm. Um, I was thinking like anecdotally. Um, I remember in 2003 leaving Omaha, Nebraska, leaving my parents, leaving my church, leaving all my friends and youth group, and driving out to Vail, Colorado, to take a job out there. Right and I remember even on the way, 
feeling like um, just really alone. And then getting there and jumping into employee housing uh, with two guys that I didn't know from Adam, and they were um, definitely not believers, right? And then I go into this job, um, this work environment where it seemed like everybody was just, you know, agnostic at best and, and, and you know, somewhere on that spectrum. Um, and no belief in God, no, no hope in Jesus, um, living for the world. Um, and, and so all of a sudden, like, I'm, I'm kind of experiencing, like, I'm not in Jerusalem anymore. And it was probably for the first month, it was, there was just a lot of emotion in that, right? Um, but then, like, as I lived there and as I prayed a lot and as I sought the Lord on how do I engage this culture that I'm in, um, I, I would say all of a sudden, like, the good in, in all of that is God actually became a much bigger reality in my life. Um, I realized he's not just the God of Omaha and of Christ Community Church. And mm. so similar to everything I'm saying, but I think it's sometimes helpful to put like, all right, a real story behind maybe what's happening for a lot of Christians culturally right now mm. is there's this sense of we're losing ourselves as a Christian nation. Mm. And so, and, and I don't, and so, like, let's grab on and hold on tighter. Yeah. And so, your guys' thoughts. I'm, just, I'm suggesting that is maybe a root um, to all of this emotion, anger, anxiety, division. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally right. I mean, I think, but, what, I mean, what you're talking about is you use the word veneer several times. I mean, there is this, um, it reminds me of... Um, Wizard of Oz. We're we're not in Kansas anymore. Totally, <laughs> this is a totally different world. But then it, what it does? Yeah, you're right. It, what it does is it is it causes you to think. Um, is my is my faith a fraud? Is God uh, not powerful enough? Um, what do I what what am, what am I going to do to recover this lost thing? You feel right. the sense of loss, right? Right. And um and, and I think that is exactly what's happened in the last year. You know I. I, over the last year, have been accused of being fearful for wearing a mask and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I would turn it around and say, well, I, I, there's fear on both sides. Yeah. You're afraid of losing your freedoms, your God-given rights. Um, and that's what, you're, that's what you're talking about, is this idea that um, these are divinely instituted things that are kind of embedded into the bedrock of my faith and without which, mm. what is my faith? Mm. Um, it's almost like, you know, a person going from high school to college, what is their faith? They start hearing these new ideas. They start meeting people that aren't Christians but are cool, and and then they start having a, a re reassessment of, of the facts. And I think uh, um, that's what's happened with these different generational things. We're losing the American version maybe of the faith. Um, but I think this, you know, the idea of a, a veneer, um, that's a, that's a good word for it. I think is, is, is it, it was a veneer from, from the get go. Mm. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. This idea that like we're losing ground, but maybe we didn't have ground to begin with. And we right. have to kind of question that we have to kind of say like, 
whether it's Omaha or Kansas or you know Jerusalem, like yeah. what what was that actually to begin with? And yeah. so often we don't question that. We just think, oh, it was better back, you know, our grandparents' generation. They had it better. But really, when you think about it, there was brokenness there. Right. There was insane amount of brokenness there. So there's this idea that, like, we had it better, and now we've lost it, and now we have to fight for it. Um, and I, I heard, I try to be really careful using the word Christian as an adjective. For those of you listening at home, Jeff has used air quotes a couple times for Christian. No, that's a good, um, that's because, good point. Because it's not really an adjective. Like right. Christian, if, if Christian describes someone who is following Christ, then music can't be Christian or a government can't be Christian because they are not, fo- like it's not a person that's following Christ. Mm-hmm. So when we use the term Christian culture or Christian worldview or Christian, you know, it's like, the, that doesn't mean it's saved. It, mm-hmm. It's not, it's not perfect. It's not, it's, it's our view. It's our lens, but it's not, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't check all the boxes. It doesn't, it's not saved. It's not sanctified. Um, mm. So we might feel like we're losing ground, but maybe we didn't actually have it to begin with. Yeah. So I guess what we're describing here is just the idea that, um, over the last year, we witnessed that we're losing the culture, I guess, would be a good way of describing it. And so, therefore, how do Christians relate to the culture, um, react in, in, that, in that sort of way? And um, so I, I just wanted to bring in this, this book by a guy named uh, Richard Niebuhr. Uh, he, he's got a book called Christ and Culture. And I just found these categories really helpful. Um, so... He has five categories. I'm going to take two and combine them because um, they're essentially the same thing. But he has five categories of how a Christian or a tradition engages the culture. So the first one is, um, all right, so we're losing the culture. So here's what we're going to do is we're going to be against the culture. So he calls this Christ against culture. And he says uh, at the very beginning of the chapter, he says, these Christians affirm the sole authority of Christ and they reject any claim of authority by the culture. So they don't, they don't want to fall in line. They don't want to um, go with the culture. They see the culture as sort of, essentially sort of this lost cause, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so uh, what they're going to do is they're going to remove themselves from the culture and create their own, create their own Christian culture. Um, and, um, and so, uh, uh, you know, one thing that Niebuhr does say is uh, this was essentially the Jewish the Jewish approach mm. to culture yeah. was we're going to create our own laws. Uh, well, this, these laws were given to God, by God rather, but we're going to have our own laws, our own dietary habits, our own clothing, our own this and that. And, and um, if we even touch certain things, we'll be unclean because the world's unclean. And, um, and right now, if you're listening, you're probably thinking of different, different movements, right? Like the Amish or... Uh, different maybe uh, fundamentalist type movements that say you know we don't we don't even want to touch the culture because it's so unclean and one one helpful thing that Niebuhr does is he does say you know th- there is obviously the biblical paradigm of the Jewish people there's the Pharisees there's even categories like John says do not love the world nor the things of the world so there are biblical categories um, but this this would be, be people that just say I, I don't even want to be around the world I, mm-hmm. I want to just be totally removed from the world. So that's uh, the, first, the first approach, is just to say, okay, well, we're losing, we're losing ground. Well, we're just going to remove ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, there was a, uh, I, now I'm not remembering his name, but there's a, another book uh, that came out called The Benedict Option, which yeah. essentially espouses, yeah. 
Do you yeah. remember who that was? Rod Dreyer. Yeah, uh, Rod Dreyer, yeah. yeah. Um, he, he essentially says, we're losing it, so we need to create our own Benedictine sort of um, <laughs> monastery uh, existence. So people out there do, do um, espouse this. The second view, so it's Christ against, I hate, I hate the culture. The second view is the Christ of culture. So this is kind of the swinging the opposite side of the pendulum. And so Niebuhr, he says that there are men who hail Jesus as the Messiah of their society, Hmm. the fulfiller of its hopes and aspirations. Hmm. So Jesus has not come to remove this from the culture. He's not come to destroy the culture. He's actually come to redeem the culture um, and to make it Christian, essentially. Hmm. And this is kind of essentially what we've been talking about. we are genera- a couple generations ago. We thought that America was essentially the Christian society, right? And Jesus has come to to redeem America, to make it um, Amer- uh, to make it Christian. You know, there was a book by um, oh man, and now I, I can't. Why am I remembering no one's name? <laughs> so, it's all right, <laughs> it's, man. Uh, Jesus and John Wayne. Yeah, uh, Kristen Dumas. Chris, yeah, Chris, Kristen Dumas. Kobe Dumas. Yeah. Um, Chris Gabriel, love that, love that book. I found it a little bit hard to read, but mm-hmm. still, still really it's good. Hard to read. Yeah, but she kind of tracked this idea that um, Jesus eventually, and this is um, uh, what Niebuhr says: is whenever you sort of inject Jesus into your culture, he starts becoming adapted to your idea of what it means to be. Mm-hmm. So John Wayne is like the essential godly man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the same thing with um, in, in uh, Jesus's day with with Rome. Um, one thing that Niebuhr talks about was he, he talks about how <clears throat> a lot of the pagan religions back during the beginning of the Christian movement, um, and it would eventually become Gnost- what is called Gnosticism, but they essentially had these cults where they would worship these gods. Hmm. And eventually what started happening was Jesus became sort of the, the uh, top of echelon of those hmm. gods. Yeah. To where uh, Jesus was sort of like the, the hero figure, but there were still all these other mm-hmm. gods, and they would still do these sort of pagan rituals, and um, it eventually developed into this Christian heresy. But essentially, any time that you sort of inject Jesus into your culture and say, he's going to save my culture, um, that's, that's the Christ of culture. Mm-hmm. So there's Christ against culture, the Christ of culture. Um, and then uh, we, we've talked about this a little bit, too. Uh, Niebuhr has two chapters. One is called The Christ Above Culture, which um, I'm just not even going to go into that. But um, he has another one called Christ the Transformer of Culture. And so the basic idea is that Jesus has come. The culture is fallen. It might be have sinful rules, but Jesus has come to sort of reform it mm. and to make it Christian. Mm. And um, you, you see this a lot with... Um, uh, maybe with uh, Constantine, when Constantine made Christianity sort of the the um, the, the, the the religion of of Rome, um, or you see this with John Calvin, for instance, he wanted to make Geneva a Christian country. Um, he wanted to reform all the laws. Um, so there's that one, and then finally, this one is interesting. I, I the more that I think about this one, the more I like it. He says, uh, the last one is, uh, Christ and culture are constantly in paradox or in tension with one another. And so this is the idea that um, essentially that uh, Jesus and his followers and the the world are like two trains riding on two different tracks, basically. 
Um, they're, 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 uh, never the, tween, the twain shall meet. And um, uh, so it's basically this idea that we're, we're essentially, we're living in this fallen world and we're part of Christ's culture hmm. and we're living in this culture, but they're never going to mix. It's like oil and water or, or whatever, whatever the, the saying is. Um, and so Niebuhr brings in the idea that um, it's, it's the idea, if you read Galatians 1, that uh, Jesus has rescued us from this, uh, from the kingdom of this age and transferred us into the kingdom of Christ. So there's two kingdoms, right? And so we've been taken out of one and, and transferred into the other, and yet we're still living in the other one, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so uh, this is the idea, and Luther, uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, he called this the idea of two kingdoms. Mm-hmm. There's the kingdom of the age, there's the kingdom of heaven. And a Christian lives in both worlds at the same time, basically. And so you're constantly in tension, you're constantly um, uh, uh, trying to find that balance of understanding that this world, the fallen world, uh, is essentially, it's already been uh, defeated by Jesus. You know, um, Jesus has risen from the dead, he's defeated all the powers of evil. Um, that, that, that world is, is passing away, Paul says, and we're in this new world, and yet we're still living in it. And so it's... it's I, I like this one um, uh, the best, but I, you know Niebuhr's basic overall thesis is that um, there is some ways in which all of these things are we, we do these things. You know, um, let's say if you if you um, if you homeschool your kids or you put your kids in a Christian school, um, that is in one way that's removing your child from the culture. Sure. Um, it, um, maybe to protect them, maybe to say, well, we really want them to have a good classic Christian education or whatever. So we all, we, um, all, all of these are in some form or fashion uh, things that we do. We, in some ways, we push against the culture. In some ways, we accept the culture. In some ways, we are in paradox and all, all that sort of stuff. So um, it might be helpful to just to give a few. Does anybody have any commentary before I move on? I said commentary like, <laughs> like a, like a freaking... I'm in, I'm in a classroom right now. <laughs> Hello, my pupils. Well, I think, I think where you're, I think where you're headed is yeah. like, you know, whether it's Niebuhr or Keller gives his categories or, or the transformationist, um, the, the counter-culturalist, the two kingdoms approach or the relevance approach. These guys are just trying to give categories for what you're saying is like, Hey, we all kind of naturally, as Christians, lean toward or tend toward in our decisions on how we raise our family, in terms of how we engage the political ideologies of the day, in terms of how, like, we we all kind of, um, yeah, respond to the culture in some way. And so, whether it's Niebuhr or Keller, they're trying to give some language to that and a category to that. And I think what Keller says, and, and, and maybe we'll put this chart up, but he says that all of those have their place and are, are good, but all of them can tend um, to, yeah, to, to take us too far out on that, yeah. on that paradigm or on that pole. And so really what we need, uh, the gospel, and we need gospel community to center us. Yeah. Yeah. He puts that chart in a book called Center Church, which is kind of like that's what he's saying is like the church, the teaching of the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It centers us in a way that allows us to to relate to culture um, 
and to resist the things of the culture that aren't according to the kingdom of God, but to see the good in culture that, that God has, has used to, you know, to, um, yeah, for the good of, of, of people, transform the culture in ways that, that Jesus wants to transform the culture or um, to go, hey, this is the kingdom that, that you're a part of now, that, that you're where your identity lies. So in all of those things, we can tend toward that. These guys have put some good categories on it. And yet we we do need to not be, fall, I guess, fall in love with any one of those categories and say, that's how I'm going to respond to the, the culture, but more, hey, let's let's see the good in all of those and yet know that um, the gospel kind of gives us a, an altogether unique and peculiar and different category. Um, you know, this, that's interesting because um, we were just talking about how we both tend more towards the two kingdom idea, this idea of tension and paradox and... Um, but I, I do think that's kind of the point of this book. And then Keller's, I'll, I'll try to put that up on the, um, on the podcast. But it might be helpful just to look at, so I think you're right. So anytime you get too extreme, mm. that's when it's dangerous. So, mm. like, um, so like, for instance, the, uh, the Benedict option is this, like, let's totally remove yeah. ourselves. Mm. Um, well, that, that's not helpful. Or, you know, you might think of um, uh, monks or hermits or something going out into the, we were just talking about Saint, um, crap, what is his name? Simeon, 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 yeah. Something. Yeah. He lived on a pillar for 30 years or 40 years or something. Simeon the elder, but they, but yeah, there's a different, his last kind of his moniker for his last name or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but, but you might think about, you know, like, um, uh, you know, it's, it's good to homeschool your children, but it's not good to just utterly remove them from life. Right. You know, um, and, um, so, so, uh, or we might think about the Amish or the Mennonite, um, or, or we might think of the transformationist kind of an Uber transformationist understanding of Christ and culture would be, um, a Christian movement nowadays called theonomist. It's uh, mm-hmm. so theonomy is, uh, the law of God, theonomist. And they, they believe that, um, yeah, let's make America a, a, a Christian nation. Let's institute the Ten Commandments, and <laughs> let's let's make God's. It's essentially Sharia law, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, so, um, or, or you can think of Constantine uh, in, uh, when when he made uh, Christianity uh, uh, the the uh, American, or sorry, <laughs> the Roman uh, religion. Um, or we can think of uh, the Christ, the Christ of culture, liberal Christianity. Um, it it adopts all of these. Um, so, uh, right now that the big thing is, is, uh, you know, sex, sexuality and, and that sort of thing is, uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's say, uh, that, you know, you, you, you say that you're gay, that's okay. You know, that, that, that's, that's an okay thing to, to be. So, um, the, the point I'm trying to make is, um, there are all these different ways of engaging the culture and there are some biblical images for them. And Jeff's about to give, give us some ways of sort of honing that in biblically. But I think we, I think the Keller, the Keller idea of being centered is, is a good, is, that's, that's a good image there of not being pulled in any, just one direction and going to the extreme. Yeah. So. I was thinking as you guys were talking about how, like what we're, what we believe about the culture um, impacts how we what we believe about the mission field mm. and about the people around us and mm. how so often those can become synonymous, like mm. someone that is advocating for this counter Christ culture, 
like we can make them the enemy. So, so thinking about like, you know, uh, some of these different, um, paradigms and what that then says about the people around us. So if you're, if you're against, if, if you're, if you're looking at things through like a Christ against culture perspective, you're, you're thinking that your neighbors and your coworkers and, you know, should be avoided at all costs and you don't want to have any spiritual conversations with them. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, do you see any other in, in some of these different paradigms, like how, what does that say about well, I think that's good. You know, the Christ of culture, for instance, would be like, makes me think of John, um, John 8, hmm. where Jesus, or just, just Jesus, and I like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Christian. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm also a pastor, so it's, that's good that I... That's a good thing, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you cleared that up yeah, for yeah. us. Um, yeah. uh, just, for the, just for the record, I, I believe in Jesus. No, uh, he, he would have radical table fellowship with sinners, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't just say, oh, yeah, you're a prostitute, no problem. Um, hey, whatever works for you. He would also call them to repentance as yeah, well. Yeah. So that, that, and that was radical uh, during his yeah. day. You know, the Pharisees were utterly removed. They, they removed themselves from the culture. They were purists. They were Puritans um, before there were Puritans. Mm-hmm. And um, some will get that joke. But, uh, but what, what does Jesus do? He challenges the culture. But he, he, but he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not against the culture either, you know, he, and so he, he is, um, uh, uh, he is the model of, of doing it. So I, I think you're right, though. I think that how do you view your neighbor is a really good indicator mm-hmm. of your, your approach to culture. I think that's a really good yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then let's talk about, yeah, how do we, how do we recalibrate? How do we find this um, centered approach to viewing our culture? Yeah. Um, let me give kind of just a, yeah, a recalibration, a suggestion in terms of how we recalibrate. And then I think some biblical roles, reemerging roles that we see in the scripture that, that could be helpful in that. So I've always appreciated just the, the reformed idea of just doxology, that, that glorifying God, that's, that's, that that's the purpose, that's what it means to be a Christian is to glorify God, enjoy God um, in and through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's very helpful, very liberating. Okay, if that's my, the chief end of man is to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if that's what it means to be Christian, then that, that there's one who is good. He's just, he's just good, not necessarily good for anything. He's just good, period. And therefore... That's also true of anything that belongs to God, uh, that reflects God, that witnesses about him. It's just good. Without being subjected to all the purposes that we might have, like, like building, transforming, conquering culture, right? Um, that's helpful to me. Like My being a Christian is, is doxology. It's, it's praising, glorifying, enjoying God. Um, and, and I think if that, you know, I think of, you know, scriptures like, you know, heaven rejoices at the, the turning of even one sinner, you know. It's hard to do, like, it's hard to do that if 
being Christian means transforming all of culture, you know, of unless we, you know, unless we see all of education trend toward the Ten Commandments are back in schools and unless we see everyone in Washington bow a knee to King Jesus, like, then it, then we haven't really, that's not successful. We, ha- we haven't achieved what it means to, to be Christian. Well, um, that's a lot of expectation, a lot of pressure, and and yet, if being Christian means just glorifying God, man, just um, seeking Him, knowing Him, enjoying Him, reflecting Him, then that gives me a, a just a different perspective about how I should live. Um, gives me even a di- different uh, set of kind of emotions of um, yeah, of, of peace and poise and hope and. And so I also think of Galatians 6, you know, um, as Galatians 6, you know, do, do not grow weary of doing good um, for in due time, you know, we'll reap a, or reap a harvest of, of righteousness. Um, so don't grow weary of that. Don't grow weary of just, you know, uh, glorifying God, enjoying God, um, doing good to the culture that you live in and are a part of. I think that that's kind of a recalibrating way. Um, that's a recalibration of sorts that I think is is helpful. And especially as we're a little bit unsure of how this whole thing is going to play out over the next few years um, in this season of turmoil, in this season of disconnectedness, in this season of all of these emotions to just kind of go, hey, let's reset, recalibrate, Let's just pursue God in our own personal lives, and then let's reflect our pursuit of him in the culture at large and just leave it at that to start. Then I think also a couple roles within that. So that's a, a recalibration. Well, and just to interject here, um, all, all of this, that, that recalibration is assuming that, and you've, you just said it, but, but I think, when we when we immediately relate God to the culture, culture to God, what we make God is some tool that we can use to to bring about some other end. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so God is not the end in Himself. Right. Yeah. Right. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy yeah. Spirit. Um, but this uh, Christian society or um, Ten Commandments in the schools or whatever—that's the real that's the real treasure. And I think that. Um, no, the Father is the by the Spirit through the Son to the Father. That's that's the end goal right there. Right, right. Um, yeah. And uh, in the end, God will be all in all, is what Paul says in Corinthians. So, I, I just think that makes that takes God out of the toolbox of your practical yeah. Christianity and yeah. says, um, let's yeah recalibrate. I, I like that too. So I, I just think whenever we're having this conversation, we do have to just say, okay, God is the end in himself. Yeah. Whatever the, the net effect of God is in our lives and in our society, that's all good. And that's good. But, um, but God is the ultimate end. Right. You know, and, you're, right. and you're not going to feel like you're losing ground if the ground that you're standing on is God. Like, yes. Period. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for restating that. And I think that's, that's helpful. I think what's so, okay. If the the root of this is maybe man, maybe kind of my Christianity was wrapped up in in, in kind of the institutionalized um, 
man-centered, created, you know, version of it. And that that's the underlying root for some of my, man, I feel like we're losing that. I feel like I don't know how to feel. I'm emotional. I'm, I'm angry at some of it. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm grieving. And if, okay, there's a kind of recalibrating, okay, you know what? That's okay. God is actually bigger and more universal and even more compelling than those things that, that, um, you know, and maybe maybe I need to wrestle with that and, and go, was was my version of, of God and Christianity wrapped up in those things too much? Um, where it did, he, he, I was kind of kind of he was a useful tool to to yeah. build my kingdom. Once that starts to um, be stripped away, and once I start to recalibrate and go, no, God is the end of the gospel. You know, mm-hmm. God is yeah. the great treasure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get God. Then I think, um, so how do I live that way? How do I live that way? I think uh, there's a couple kind of just roles. Um, I, I guess you could call them biblical kind of categories, motifs, um, ways of of living in the culture that to me have been super helpful. So I just want to commend them to our listeners. One is just the this idea of being an exile. Um it's been super helpful to me. You read through some of the exilic literature in the scripture. Um, we have not been geographically removed from the places that we grew up, um, but that's what a lot of evangelicals feel. And I think we even talked about generationally how that could differ, you know, like our parents' generation can really feel that. Mm-hmm. But we we have in a sense, or are we in a sense, I'm questioning are we waking up and feeling like strangers in this land that that we now live in? And so what do we do now? Like, how do we, yeah, how do we live? And I think thinking of ourselves as, as exiles is, is sometimes, is sometimes helpful in that. So let me, let me read what Jeremiah writes. Um, and this, this is Jeremiah 29 verse 4 it says thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all exiles whom i have sent into exile from jerusalem to babylon so again um kind of their their yeah their city their zion you know the the temple all of that they've been removed from everything that has been familiar that's represented god that's you know that they've maybe um yeah, they're experiencing quite a lot, right? But here's what God is saying to them. Um, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty amazing, I think, that there's one, this level in which God's been a part of this. God's done this. God sent you from Jerusalem right, yeah. to Babylon. And then when you're there, he, he doesn't cease to be God. Instead, he says, hey, while you're here, 
since I've sent you here, um, live this way. Uh, I think that's, that's probably something that we need to discover or rediscover as American Christians is just this idea of exile. Like exiles aren't necessarily you know, discriminated against or persecuted all the time. I mean, you think of Daniel, Joseph, Esther, like you can become a, a minister, a queen, someone who has significant influence, but it's very vulnerable. Like you're no longer the one kind of running the show culturally. Yeah. And, and I, what I'm saying is that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, how come? Because um, y- your, your city, your, you know, your culture, what you've built, what you've established, that doesn't as easily become your identity, your idol, your God. Um, and you, you, you find out that the one true God is, is actually a much bigger reality than and, and what I've already kind of said. So, um, so that's one. I mean, how, how do you, as well, I say this that. Just you, remind, so um, this reminds me of Ezekiel 1. So mm-hmm. one of the scandals, though, of... Um, I want to be reminded of what was that? <laughs> Siri Jeff's right there. phone is really acting up in this. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in the podcast. Um, I'm just kidding. I won't. So one of the scandals of being in Babylon was that the temple is not there. Mm. So which means that God's presence is not there. Mm. And so, um, and, and then of course the temple's destroyed. Um, numerous times throughout uh, Jewish history. But um, one of the things that happens in uh, Ezekiel, so Ezekiel is um, a prophet who uh, was living uh, in exile, uh, you know, calling the people to repentance. Um, But the the book of Ezekiel starts off with this vision. Do you guys remember the vision? Mm -hmm. It's, it's these, uh, it's these uh, angels that have these, you know, almost looks like UFOs, flying saucer type Mm -hmm. things. Um, and then, but then, uh, but they, they're wheels, they're mm-hmm. wheels. And then above them is the divine glory seated on the throne. And what's meant to be, uh, the, the imagery that's meant to be there is this idea of, of, of God's throne is moving. Mm. It's, it's a, his throne now has wheels. Mm. And um, a lot of commentators in the past used to think that God was coming in judgment. But um, now they're thinking, oh, God's presence is mobile. Right. It's coming with them into exile. Mm. Um, and so it's this whole like, oh my goodness, wait, God's not lost because we're in exile. Right? God is not off his throne. He's actually with us, suffering with us, bringing us through it. And therefore, he, you can say in Jeremiah 29, bless the city where you are, you know, um, all, all this stuff. So it's, it was a recalibration, even in Israel's own mind, like, oh, wait a second, God is not confined to the temple. Right. God has actually become reality here in exile, and I can have a relationship with him here. And then, of course, that becomes even truer by the incarnation because God now comes into our true exile through, through Jesus. So, um, anyways, that just reminded me of that. Yeah. I think that um, this idea of God becoming a reality in exile, I think that that's even a biblical sort of realization of the Jewish people and then of the Christian people. And I think it does, I mean, even that passage... Um, certainly Ezekiel, but then as I relate to that culture, as I worship God, enjoy God, have a relationship with God in that culture, Jeremiah 29, it's not, um, hey man, just hunker down right? Yeah, and, yeah. and don't do anything, you know, that would 
expose the outside culture, the pagan culture yeah. to your worship or to your relationship. It's more like, hey, do everything you would normally do, you know, yeah. and do do good by this culture by doing that, yeah. you know. So I think an- another one that I think is really helpful is, is just the idea. This idea of priest being a priest, and I'm kind of grabbing this from from First Peter. Um, but you know, you, you think about what 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 is a priest? What is a priest called to? Priests are actually called out of the world in order to represent the people before God, and in order to represent God before the people. So it's this mediating function. So so what does that look like? People before God. Um, you're worshiping God. You're bringing all things before God out of your relationship with people. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's part of being a priest in a, a culture that, you know, doesn't enjoy worship, um, you know, honor God, right? Um, you're also listening to, praying for, representing the people. That's what a priest's supposed to do. That's, you know, that's what... Um, that's what Jesus does for us as our great high priest. Um, you're also making sacrifice on behalf of bringing the best of the people before God. So um, you're, you're bringing the people before God himself by doing that. Well, then how are, how are you bringing God before the people? Well, you're teaching. You know, I mean, that's what the priests did. Hey, hey let, me, let me teach you the Torah. Let me um, help explain to you who God is and, and what he reveals to us about himself. You're also blessing, you know, the people. You're um, you're blessing them by bringing God to, to bear on the culture that you, you know, that you're a part of. So I, I think, you know, whether it's exile, like, okay, I can, I can live as an exile and, and in the same vein as Jeremiah 29, like, God actually has become a bigger reality and yet still calls me uh, to live, to worship, to, to do good to this people or a priest of like, I'm actually representing my culture in my relationship with God. And I'm also rep- representing God to my, to my culture and, and how I relate to them. Um, I think that just gives kind of this, oh, okay, th- those actually like, I can do that. Like that, that gives me some vision for how to, exist and be a Christian in a culture where it seems like, okay, we're actually kind of post-Christian here. Um, there are still some contours, some impulses, some intuition that, that Christianity in its day has established, but, but now it's, you know, been radicalized, you know, been secularized in a lot of ways. Well, I can, I can live as an exile. That's okay. God's still um, sovereign. He's still a, he actually even becomes a bigger reality. And, and like I said, as a priest, you know, I can do good. I can do good, um, before God and before the people. So uh, anything you guys would kind of add to that? I think that's helpful. So those are helpful kind of biblical roles that we as Christians can step into and, and maybe even rediscover a little bit. Mm. That's good. Makes me think of the, uh, Westminster Shorter, that talks about what does it mean that Jesus Christ is a priest? Mm. And it says that, you know, he offers the once for all sacrifice, but then it says, and he, because he's a priest in that he prays for us. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's that mediating function. Yeah. He, he represents us to God. And now through our union with Christ, we now do that. We are little Christ to the world now. 
uh, mediating God's presence and mediating the people's presence to God as well. So, yeah, I was I was talking with uh, a few of our elders about this. Like, um, we, we live in a cul-de-sac where we we love all of our neighbors, but um, and have had great conversations with all of them through kind of this last couple of years. One neighbor in particular, um, you know, has just kind of been going through it with COVID. His, his uh, wife has pre-existing conditions. They've had to be very careful. And, you know, somewhere in the first few months of COVID, um, you know, he came to the door, was in tears, um, knew that I w- was a pastor, knew that we were Christians, and just wanted to talk, you know. Well, I find myself out in the cul-de-sac late at night and, and just praying with him. Well, um, it, there, there was such a, like, I was being a priest, priest yeah. to my neighbors, and it was not a, you know, that, that living that out in my neighborhood um, there wasn't like this, you know, pressure, this expectation. There was, it's just, I just lived in front of them. I lived in front of them. We did good to them. We, they know that we love God, you know, they know that, that that's kind of a, he, he's the director leader of our, our lives. He's our great hope. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, you know, not not feeling like I need to transform the entire neighborhood through these other means, but I'm I'm just living there, and doing good in in that community. I thought, and that's just you know, to me, that's that's what it means to have a non-anxious presence, mm-hmm. and and that was not something that I think God created those opportunities, and I, I think He's maybe creating those same opportunities for for a lot of us yeah. in this in this season. So, and in our world that is like so defined by anxiety right now to be a non-anxious presence stands out. Like yeah. that, that is, that is countercultural, right? There. It is. It really is. Yeah. Um, and you, you kind of know, yeah, yeah. You kind of know that's, that's a gift of, yeah. of God's presence, you know? So yeah. it allows you to not be really prideful of like, ah, I have all these answers and, you know, mm-hmm. I know the, the real truth and everything. But you do find yourself like being sustained through a season and then you realize how many people are kind of at their wits end yeah. and they do notice that and that is compelling and that does give you some opportunities. So yeah. again, you know, I think exile, priest, those are maybe some, yeah, some ways to to help us to live in a in a culture mm-hmm. that's... Yeah, in such turmoil right yeah. now. 